Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com. We spend a lot of our lives checking boxes, punching clocks, come on, fulfilling requirements, meeting demands, striving to have a fulfilling life, right? We work so hard just so we can have a fulfilling life, striving to have a bill paid, come on, a goal met, an end reached. But if we're not careful, we'll get lost in the hustle. Come on, you will get lost in the hustle. And sometimes what ends up happening is our identity becomes about what we do from nine to five. Right, it becomes our job, becomes our identity. Who are you? And immediately we go to what we do. And if we're not caught, we'll get caught up being a busybody. We'll get caught up in a striver mindset. Come on, for our job, for ourselves, for our loved ones, for our boss. Sometimes we get caught up in that with God. So sometimes what I've found in my life is being someone who's been in the ministry, I think sometimes it's a little bit more difficult because it's like I become like I'm a worker for God. I'm just working for God. I'm doing all this for God. And if I'm not careful, sometimes I start functioning out of that striver and not out of my sonship, right? I start I start becoming a worker for God. I'm just working for God. I'm just laboring for God. So what I need to learn to do is I need to learn to weaken the striver inside of me. So if we're going to weaken the striver, we got to let love be the driver. Can you say that with me? Say, to weaken the striver, to weaken the striver, let love be the driver. Let's say that one more time. To weaken the striver, let love be the driver. And so here's Jacob that we've been talking about, right? He come out of the womb, striving, holding on to his brother's heel, trying to, you know, trying to get first place even from the womb. And then we see him later on as he kind of connives his way into kind of tricking his brother into getting the blessing. Remember that whenever his brother sold the 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 blessing for the bowls. Remember that? We talked about that, about how that we always need to be careful that we choose virtue over vices. And then we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about how Jacob went in, the little trickster, went in and, and tricked his dad that he, as he performed and pretended to be somebody that he wasn't in order to get his daddy to bless him. And so many times we do that with God. We try to pretend to be somebody else. We try to perform to, be, to do something that we don't normally do. We try to put on the clothes of our brother so that our Father will be pleased. But how many of you know that we have clothed ourselves in Christ? Come on, we are the aroma of Christ, and we get our Father's blessing because we're in Christ. And then last week we talked about Jacob and how he was running from his brother Esau, who was really mad about his trickery. He decides to kill Jacob. And so Jacob heads on a journey to Haran to, to be with some relatives, to, to spend some time there. And on that journey, he stops and he rests his head upon a rock, and he dreams with God. You remember that? And we talked about that. And finally, it was when Jacob decided to settle down. When Jacob began to rest his head, when he began to rest, that's whenever he began to see God move in his life. And he's learning in his route to weaken the striver. You got to let love be the driver. And so what we pick up here in the story in Genesis chapter 29, we're not going to read it all today, but in Genesis 29, Jacob continues his journey onto Haran to, to meet his uncle Laban. And on his way, when he gets a little bit closer, he runs into a crew, a work crew of shepherds. And they're at this well. They're surrounding this well. And Jacob comes upon them, and he's like, hey, do you, where are you guys from? They say, we're from Haran. They say, do you know Laban? They're like, yes, we do know Laban. They're in, fact, in fact, here comes his daughter, and here comes this woman 
who we find out later, a very attractive woman. And she is walking towards Jacob, and she's leading sheep. And Jacob sees her and has this connection with Laban's daughter, Rachel. Everybody say Rachel. And so he sees Rachel. Rachel greets her. He's like, man, I'm here. We're, we're, we're relatives. We're, we're cousins. We're kissing cousins. I know it's a little weird. You just got to bear with the scripture sometimes. And so what happens is she goes back and she tells Laban, her uncle, and she says, hey, Jacob's here. He's here to work for us. He's here to be part of our crew. And so Laban goes back, gets Jacob, and brings him home. And this is where we pick up in Genesis chapter 29, verse 14. It says, then Laban said to him, you are my own flesh and blood. Your family. Welcome to the family. And after Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. You've been doing good work. Tell me how much you want to get paid. And so Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Oh, come on. Leah had weak eyes. Sorry, Leah. Little little dim in the eyes there. But Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. In other words, she was pretty and her figure was nice. That's the Bible. Verse 18. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years. I'll give you seven years of my life in return for your daughter. Rachel, Laban said, it's better that I give you to her than some other man. Stay here with me. So stay here and work. Continue doing what you're doing for my daughter, Rachel. In verse 20, it says, so Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him. He worked for seven years, but it only felt like a few days to him because of his Love for her. Verse 21, the Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. <laughs> my time is complete and I want to lie with her. Oh. So, come on. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. And when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob. And Jacob lay with her. Now, understand something. that During the culture, during this time, during a wedding ceremony, you couldn't see the bride. She was covered head to toe. Come on, she had, she had all the wedding garb on. So Jacob goes in to the tent to consummate the marriage, right? It's night. He can't see her. <laughs> they do things that married people do. Come on. Married people activity. And this is what it says. In verse 25, when morning came, there was Leah. Mm. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? I serve you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Why have you tricked me? Now, Jacob's been the tricker in this story all along, and here he is finally reaping what he has sowed. Now he's getting the tricks played on him. Now, how many of you know seven years? That's a lot of time. For some of y'all, that feels a lot longer than it does for some of us. We planted this church seven, almost seven years ago, and it feels like a few days sometimes. Why have you deceived me? 
It's not our custom here to give our younger daughter in marriage before the older. That would have been great information yesterday. Finish this daughter's bridal week, and we will give you the younger one also. <laughs> okay, just bear with the Scriptures. In return for another seven years of work. So we did. He finished a week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. Laban gave his servants to his daughter, Rachel, as her maidservant. Jacob lay with Rachel also, and he loved Rachel, Rachel more than Leah. In fact, you'll find this out later. Um, we're going to do a series with, probably within the next year on Joseph. Joseph was the firstborn of Rachel. And if you remember the story that Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. Interesting. And he worked for Laban another seven years. Fourteen years. Fourteen years for a woman he loved. Hustling, striving, working hard for a woman he loved. For a woman he loved. Today I want to talk about the healthy hustle. Right? We've talked about stop the hustle. We need to stop that striving. We need to, we need to stop working towards something. That We start, need to start working from our connection with God. But if we're going to have a healthy hustle, first we've got to evaluate some things. If you ever go to a personal trainer, if you ever been to a personal trainer or went to sign up at a gym, normally there's a little, a little meeting that takes place, right? And you sit down and they ask you a few questions. They give you a questionnaire. They give you an evaluation to see where you're at so you can know where you're going. So what I want to do today is I want to help you evaluate your hustle. And the first question on this questionnaire is this, are you even working? Are you even working? See, the thing is, is when we talk about a healthy hustle, there's a second part to just being healthy. There's also a hustle involved. There is a hustle involved. In fact, the New Testament is full about encouraging us to work, but also encouraging us to rest. Can I tell you today, beloved, I want to help you do both in the same context. Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 9, verse 28, he said, don't pray for the harvest, pray for the Laborers, pray for the workers. Are you even working? Are you working for God? Are you doing anything for God? Or is it just about you? Just about your life? Just about your family? Those are great things. But are you working for God? Can I tell you today that you can be working for God and working for your family simultaneously? But just because you're working for your family doesn't mean that you're working for God. Because some people have made that, like, in order to work for God, you're going to need to work for your family. Come on, you're going to need to provide for them. But are you even working for God? Because sometimes we look at works, especially in a series like this, we look at works as kind of the enemy. Am I right? Like, oh, man, we just need to stop working. No, no, no. Did you know that you were recreated in Christ to do, do works? It says this in Ephesians Excuse me, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, we are God's workmanship. You are God's workmanship. You are God's work. The, the Greek word for that is this. You are God's poetic masterpiece. You're God's well-oiled machine. That's a Josh Brown translation. Created in Christ 
to do good works. So Jesus redeemed you. He recreated you so you could do good works. Things that he prepared in advance. There's things that are on his mind for you to do. He wants you working. Are you even working? Are you working? See, many see work as a curse, right? We look at, we look at the, the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, and we see that after Adam sinned, that God came to him, and he said, curse of the ground. You're going you're gonna to have all these problems when you work. The curse wasn't work. The curse is that work would be unfruitful. The curse was that work would be difficult, laborious, that it would involve sweat, that it would involve toil. The, cur- the curse is that work would be hard, but how many you know that we, we got recreated, God broke the curse in your life. He doesn't want your work or your obedience to God to be laborious. He doesn't want you to just grin and bear it because I'm doing it for God. Because Jacob loved Rachel, he was willing to work for her. See, you can labor without love, but you can't love without laboring. In fact, workers will always be outworked by lovers, always. Lovers outwork laborers. Get this, lovers outlast laborers. Because you know how it is when you get a job you hate. You get a job you love, you'll stay at that job for less money. Why? Because lovers work better than laborers, and they outlast them. So here's Jacob giving 14 years of his life. 14 years. See, God knew. God knew that we function best from the position of love. He knew that if, we, if he could make us lovers, if he could get us to fall in love with him, we would work really well. He would get better performers out of lovers than if we just became God's workers. Are you tracking So to weaken this driver, let love be the driver. Weaken that driver. Man, I'm just working so hard. Let love be the driver. It's not going to feel like work. Seven years will feel like a day. Check this out. Luke chapter 10. We're very familiar with this. One day an expert of the religious law stood up to test Jesus, asking him a question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, this guy's a, an expert in the law. Another, another uh, conversation that Jesus has, he says, what is, what is the most important command? Jesus gives him the same answer. You must love. You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. What's he talking about? Wholeness. Completeness. Loving God completely. Now, the reality is none of us in the room love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Like, none of us are there yet. That's the goal. That's the standard. That's what we're working towards. But why did Jesus say the most important thing to do is to go out and win people into the kingdom? Nope. That's important. The most important thing is this. Love the Lord. Because if you can love me, you'll do anything I ask of you. So let's get this straight. And what we've done many times, is we, we, we want to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he's saying, I want you to love me. He said, no, no, no. What do you want me to do? 
Because sometimes we want blessing instead of intimacy. But if we will get intimate, we'll be really good at the doing thing. And the increase will come. You okay? So we work best at loving God by loving him in our work. So at your work, whatever your work is, love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Maybe you flip burgers at McDonald's. And you go, well, I'm miserable. I need a better job. How about you just be grateful that you have the job that you have, and you go, Lord, I'm going to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, even when I'm flipping and wrapping McDonald's hamburgers, like the worst thing on the planet. Pretty close. I can love the Lord when I'm mopping floors, cleaning toilets, working on cars, working on hearts, flying to the moon. I can love God in anything. This is why the command wasn't so specific about what you're doing. He's like, just love me in it. Love me in it, and you will enjoy whatever it is that you're doing. And that's what he said. Do this, and you will live. And I don't think Jesus was just speaking about eternity there. Primarily, he was. But listen, if you will learn to love God in all that you're doing, loving God in your work, you will experience the pleasure of God no matter what you're doing. And we are so many times just caught up in the task, in the strive, and go, God, I just want something else. I just want something else. I just don't like this. If I got something different, I would be happy. For a little bit, you might be. But listen, if you will learn to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, if that will be the goal of your life, if you will love God in everything that you're doing, you can enjoy doing anything. John 15, verse 10, if you obey my commands, you'll remain in my love. How many of you know that when we talk about heart, soul, mind, and strength, we're talking about motivation, all your heart, come on, why am I doing this? What is on the inside of me to do this? My intentions. We're talking about soul. We're talking about our emotional affections, our desires, we're talking about our mind, our attention, how am I, who am I focused on, what am I focusing on. We're talking about our strength, our demonstration. Come on, how many know that obedience is the measure of love? Obedience is the measure of love. So it's easy to say, oh, I love God and I'm not obeying him, contrary to the, the Scriptures. Scriptures always say, Love, obedience follows love. If there's no obedience, there's no love. You okay? Y'all quiet. All right. If you obey my commands, you'll remain in my love. How many of y'all want to stay in his love? You'll remain. You'll abide. You'll make my home your home there, Mino in the Greek. Just as I have obeyed my Father's command to remain in his love, I've told you this. Not so you can walk around burdened. No, no, no. I told you this so that my joy... Listen, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So see, you can go out and you can, you can work a job that you love. But if you're not loving God in it, you're going to get up at the end of the day. You're going to get at some point, at some point, you'll go, this is just not fulfilling. I'm just not finding joy in it anymore. I need to do something else. 
Because you haven't learned to love God in whatever you're doing. When you learn to love God in whatever you're doing, when you learn to abide in the love of God in whatever you're doing, guess what happens? Your joy may be complete. See, happiness is an inside job. You okay? So, are you even working? Number two. Second question. It was a long sales pitch for a gym, right? Number two. What are you working for? How much weight do you want to lose, right? How much muscle do you want to gain? All of it. Okay. What are you working for? So was Jacob working for Laban or Rachel? Who was he working for? He was working for Rachel. Who are you working for? Are you working for a boss? Are you working for a company? Are you working for a man? Are you working for your spouse because they made you get a job? Guys, Father's Day, had to quit playing video games all day and go get a job. The buying and selling on eBay thing isn't working anymore. You need... You're not really earning enough money on YouTube. Go get a job, a real job, right? Are you working for your spouse? Are you working for your family? It's good to work for your family. It's good to be a good worker for your boss. But can I tell you, beloved, that as the children of God, that we are always working for God, whatever we do. This is what it says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. It says this. It says, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you do, you're working as unto God. So you're really not working for the boss, my boss. We hear that, right? We do that. My boss is, well, you're not really working for the boss. I mean, he's like the guy that God put there to, to work some things out in your life. Oh, some of y'all don't like that. But you're really not working for him. You're working for a higher authority. You're working for God. Whatever you're doing, whether you're an Uber driver, come on, whether you're a mechanic, whether you're working at McDonald's, what are you working for? Who are you working for? What is the treasure? I, uh, years ago, it's been a long time ago, maybe 15, 20 years ago, I went to uh, a McDonald's over in Oak Cliff. We were taking our kids to youth camps when we were youth pastoring. And I was waiting in line at the McDonald's, and you, you guys know how there's like the Red Sea between you and the person until they call you up. So I'm standing back here, and I'm, you know, waiting to order my lousy McDonald's. And the guy's like working the register, and it's my turn, you know, and being a good citizen, I wait until they call me up. So I'm standing there, and the guy goes, like that. So I was like, oh, I think that's my call to go forward, a little head nod. Thanks for the head nod. What do you want? See, that guy's working for money. That's all he's working for. However, if you go to Chick-fil-A, thank God, you can always, you can always talk about this is like a, it's like the Bible and then Chick-fil-A references, right? So you get a Chick-fil-A. The Chick-fil-A food is good, right? It's good. But really what's glorious about Chick-fil-A is your experience. Because those people aren't working for money. I mean, I'm sure there's a few. But in their training, you know in their training, in their mission statement, there's nothing about money. There's nothing about chicken. It's all about people. Everything about Chick-fil-A revolves around people. People are their treasure, not the money. So they, they give their employees a day off because they value people. Every employee gets at least one day a week off. It stinks for the rest of us, but they value people. Who are they working for? They're working for people. 
That's why when you go in there, you get treated well. You feel better. Because their mindset is this person can come in and just had the worst news of their life. And they just walked into our restaurant. What are we going to do to help? I mean, it's very much a kingdom principle that they're functioning in. What are you working for? Are you working for the man? Are you working for the system? What is the treasure that you're hoping to get? What is the reward that you're looking for? You know, Matthew chapter 6, verse 20 and 21 starts talking about storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where your heart is there, your treasure will be also. We're familiar with that, right? And we need to be storing up treasures in heaven. That's, why we, that's not why we work for God, but that's one of the benefits of working for God is that you store up treasures in heaven, right? I'm doing things for God. One day in heaven, I'm going to get rewarded for the things that I'm doing, correct? But, beloved, really, we're not working for the stuff we're going to get in heaven. See, we're not working for the treasures in heaven. We're working for the treasure of heaven. We're working for this man, Jesus Christ. He's the treasure that we're working for. See, when we get into heaven, the greatest reward isn't going to be Jesus with something in his hand to give us and say, here you go. Well done, that good and faithful servant. Listen, you are going to be so blown away by this man with fire in his eyes, glowing fire in his eyes. The reward is him. When I get to heaven, I get the reward. The reward is Jesus when he looks at me and he goes, you did good, son. I got all this stuff for you. But Jesus, I get you. The one my heart is long for. Here you are with fire in your eyes. This is the treasure. So when I'm working, this is what I'm working for. I'm working for the man who marked me with that fire. Who, who, when I looked at him, he, he sizzled his heart into my heart. And he transformed my life. And I'm so grateful for this man. So when I work, I'm working for him. What are you working for? See, the greatest reward is not the treasures in heaven, but the treasure of heaven. When we stand before him, our reward will not be the reward in his hand, but the look in his fiery eyes. Number three, where are you working from? Where are you working from? Talking about the position of your heart. Ephesians chapter 2, we quoted verse 10 earlier, but I want to back up a little bit and look at the scripture. Because of his great love for us, it all starts there. It always starts because of his great love for us. Because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy. <laughs> he doesn't just have mercy. He's like rich in mercy. Like it never runs out. Un- unlimited supply of mercy. He made us alive in Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, in our sins, it is by grace you've been saved. And God, check this. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. What is seated? Seated means the work has been done. Seated is the place of rest. Jesus is the Sabbath, by the way. And guess where you're seated? With him. Jesus finished the work. So we function, everything that we do is from this position from this place of rest. You okay? In order that in the coming ages he might show us the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved. We're familiar with this. For it's by grace you've been saved. Through faith. It's not of yourselves. 
It's the gift of God. Not by works, so that anyone can boast. You don't get saved because you were good. You're good because you're saved, right? For we are God's workmanship. And here's that verse again. For we are God's poetic masterpiece created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So where are you working from? The position of being seated with Christ, positioned with Christ, or are you doing, are you trying to go towards Christ in your doing? Do you, do you see the motivation that it is finished is the place that we start from? We're not working towards it is finished. It is finished. It's been done. We're seated. We're going, yeah, that's good, God. Amen to that. And I'm going to live the rest of my life in rest and at peace from my position that it's secure in Jesus. I'm functioning from my position, not for it. Religion, listen, religion it is always striving for a position. Relationship always strives from it. I love my wife, so I honor her. I don't honor her to get her love. I'm not trying to get something. I love her. I love her. I love her. So I'm doing things. I think about this uh, illustration, if you bear with me. Years ago, I went to a Starbucks in El Paso. It's, it's before Starbucks is what it is today, like McDonald's. But it was, they had this drink they released. It was around Christmas time. And I walk in, and I'm kind of looking at the board. You know, I was, always get my black coffee, like always. And I was like, um, and I saw this advertisement, and I read it. I was like, salted caramel hot cocoa. And I looked at the woman, and she was like, <laughs> so I was like, that sounds really good. So you know what I thought I'd do? I thought, I'm going to get one of those before I leave. So she brings me one, because I was there all the time. And so she brings one, she said, here you go, you have a little tiny one. I was like, oh, thank you. You know, felt like French or something. You know, drinking my little drink. And so when I leave, I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take one of these to Leslie. And so I went up there, and I was like, you know, tall, salted caramel, hot cocoa, you know, mouthful. They give me the drink, and I take it to Leslie, and she drinks it, and she's like, you know, the same look, glory, you know, heaven, angels singing, all this stuff. So what's the point? The point is this. I wanted to share with her an experience I have because I love her, not because she called me and said, I demand that you get me a salt. If, if you taste something that's good, I demand that you get one for me too. Now, some of your spouses are like that. They need to hear this message. <laughs> some of y'all are like, I want one of those today. Hey, it's Father's Day, remember? All right. Why did I share that with her? Why did I get her one of those? Because it's written down that I have to do it? No, because I'm in love with her. I'm in love with this woman. I want her to experience good things. So, where are you working from? It's by grace through faith. That's not just the place that we start. It's the place that we continue. It's all by grace. It's all through faith. All the work that I do is a work of faith. It's the life of faith. It's the walk of faith. It's how I live. It's faith, faith, faith. Galatians 5, 6, faith expressing itself through love. It's all faith. And the other way is through our new nature. We hit this a minute ago, but listen, did you know that when you came to Jesus, you were born again? You were reborn. You were recreated. You're a new creation. Did you know that? If, if, if you haven't, we call this regeneration. If you haven't, 
then you're not right with God. So the only way to be right with God is to be recreated, to be born again. This is what Jesus said. When you're born again, you're born into a new nature. You now have a new supernature. You have a nature from the Holy Spirit, a supernature. Did you know that? You're supernatural because you've been born again? Man, y'all are tough. Listen, so when he created us, he recreated the way that we function. So now work is not dreadful. It's delightful. Whatever I'm doing. Notice, notice in the Scriptures when it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, and then it also talks about the works of the flesh. See, good work out of you is fruit. Not work. God's changed your nature. So even the dreadful now is delightful. Jesus reversed the curse. You're now seated with him. You're now alive with Christ. And if your behavior doesn't change, then your heart didn't. If he transforms your heart, your behavior will change. It will follow. 1 John 5, verse 23. This is, this is some life, life message stuff for me. Listen, 1 John chapter 5, verse 2. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. Obedience is the measure of love. This is love for God, to obey his commands. And many people stop right there. This is the love for God, to obey him. Work, 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 work. Grin and bear it. This is the love for God. You love God, obey him. You ever been told that? Yes, me, I've been told that. I've said that. There's a second part of that verse. It's another part. It says, and. Also, you're not just obeying him. Also, and his commands are not a burden. Obeying him is not burdensome. This is what happens. When you obey out of burden, what you do is this. I'm doing it for God and you should too. When you're functioning out of delight, you go, man, I love obeying God. This is not always easy, but it's always enjoyable. You should obey God too. Do you see how it changes things? Listen, God wants you functioning in, in pleasure-filled obedience. There is no merit for misery. You don't get to stand before Jesus and go, I obeyed you, Lord. I did it. Everybody, nobody likes me. And Jesus is like, come on in. I had so much more for you. I wanted you to enjoy it the whole time. We're sitting there with our list. Look, Lord, look what I did. I suffered. You don't get any merit for that. Not your, not your negative attitude, you don't. We will, get, we will be there, and we will be there. In the, you know, the, the, the Word talks about our suffering and, and how that will honor the Lord. But listen, there's no merit for you walking around being miserable and making everybody else miserable because of, because of a bad day. And we've been around that before. That's called religion, beloved. It's called religion to have the works but no heart involved. 
So to weaken the striver, let love be the driver. There will be times. There will be times. There will be days. Sometimes there will be seasons where you grin and bear it, that you have to exercise some self-discipline, where you have to exercise some self-control. Those are also fruit of the Spirit. Come on. There's going to be things that you have to do, the things that you don't really want to do at the moment. It won't always be fun, but it can always be delightful. It can always be joyful. So don't get caught up being dutiful and not being delightful. Because your experience, what you're doing, what you put your hand to might look the same, but you will come out a lot better if you do it with a delighted heart. And you won't die shorter because you've so, been so stressed out because not everybody else is doing the, the things that you are doing. And I've, I've been around this thing for a long time, and I've seen a lot of people that are so mad at everybody else because they're not doing what they're doing because inside they really don't enjoy it. They're just workers for God. I'm working for God. I'm working for God. Man, me too. I love working for God. It's the greatest thing. I'm so glad he called me into the ministry. I'm so glad he called me to X, Y, Z, whatever it is that you're doing. Listen, enjoyment is the great sustainer. You will work a job that you enjoy for less money. Won't you? You feel appreciated. You enjoy what you do. Money, money becomes very small. It's not as important. So how do we develop the healthy hustle muscle? Right? Because you, you, you need to hustle a little bit. Right, Josh? We talked about this a little bit last week. We need to hustle a little bit. We need to have a hustle muscle, but it needs to be healthy. The healthy hustle muscle. You okay? This is going to be quick. Ready? Number one, see yourself as an investor, not an earner. I'm not earning my way to God, not earning treasures in heaven. You are, but you're not earning them. They're, just, they're coming naturally. You're going to have plenty, trust me, especially if you're the right heart because you'll do more things. See yourself as an investor. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm all in. I'm bought in. Are you bought in? Are you bought into God's plan? Are you invested? See, we're investing in a relationship, not earning a wage. I'm not earning a wage with God. I'm investing in a relationship. Number two, by setting our attention and our affections. By setting our attention and our affections. That's what Jesus talked about in John 15. Remain in my love. What does that look like? This is what it looks like. When I'm going throughout the day, I just take moments. I got language for this about a year ago. I've been doing it a long time. I didn't have language for it, but it's called breath prayers. Where it's like I'm doing whatever it is I'm doing, and I just, I just take a step back, and I just go, thank you, Lord. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you call my name. I thank you that I'm seated in heavenly places. I thank you, Jesus, that you've rescued me. So much delight, so much pleasure in those moments. God, I thank you. Thank you for who you are. I thank you that I'm on your mind today. Thank you for inviting me into this moment. Just, I'm just learning. I'm just learning. I'm just going through my day, and I say, you know what that's called? That's called worship. When people say worship is a lifestyle, that's what it looks like. 
Worship is our, when we set our attention and our affections on God. And so you can do that no matter what you're doing. You're flipping that burger at McDonald's. I'm sorry you have to do that, but that's what, that's what you got. So just love God in it. So just so you're flipping that burger, you thank you, God. I thank you that I get to eat prime rib tonight. <laughs> right? Or whatever. See, Rachel, if you remember when she met Jacob, what was she doing? She was a shepherdess. She was a shepherd also. So when Jacob was out in those fields, guess who his eye was on? I think he would just be out there working those sheep, and he'd look over and see, there's Rachel. Dang, Rachel. Six more years. Wow, that went by fast. Thanks, Rachel. Want to go to church, right? She was right there in the fields working with him. What was he doing? He was setting his affection. He was setting his attention on her. And the third is this, start responding. Just start responding. When God nudges you, when the Holy Spirit nudges your heart, just say okay. Just respond to it. I had this moment on Friday because I'm learning. I'm learning also. So Friday, I go to this prayer meeting in Arlington with some pastors, and we prayed. It was awesome. God, like, moved. And so on my way back to the office, I decided to get some tacos. You know, come on, prayer, then tacos. It's just, it makes sense. So I stop at this market because you want to, because markets always have good tacos. So I go into the market. I get some tacos. Glorious. Chileriano and a taco. I think I'm going to go with some right now. And so... I order my food, I eat my food, and I walk out. When I walk out, there's this homeless man standing there, and I just walk right past him. Like, he's here, and I'm just like, right? Let's get me out of here. You've done it. Me too. So I walk past him, and he goes, excuse me, sir, and I ignored him. I know. I shouldn't have. I've done it before. I do that sometimes. I ignore people in need sometimes. Whoops. So I get in my car, and I start my car, and the Holy Spirit says, why did you ignore that man? Because the man said, excuse me, sir. He said, excuse me, sir, and I just made me go faster, right? So I started my car, and the Holy Spirit said, why did you ignore that man? Don't you know he's valuable? I said, yes, Lord. And so I had like two bucks in my pocket, and I don't ever carry cash. And so I walked up to him. I was like, hey, man, what's your name? And he's like, my name's Charles. And I took him by the hand. He's like, oh, man, I'm all dirty. I was like, it don't matter. And I just took a few minutes. I didn't have a lot of money, but I had a little bit of time. And I just, I just listened to him talk and just share. You could tell he hadn't talked to anybody in days. I don't, I don't know. Maybe I made his day. Maybe he had a lot of encounters that day. I don't know. But I just sit there and I listen to Charles talk. And I said, man, he's like, do you know the Lord? And have you had any, any experience with Jesus? And he said, well, I used to pray, and, you know, I just ministered to him. I said, man, you need to, it's time for you to get back in society. It's time for you to, you know, start contributing to the world. I was like, it's, it's time. He's like, I know. I just kind of fell on hard times. And, and so I asked him, I said, can I pray with you? He's like, yeah, sure. So I took him by the hand, and I, and I prayed with him. He had sores all over his body. And, and I was like, I just began to pray for him. I said, Lord, just pray that you would show this man that he's valuable, that he, 
that you love him, that you desire him. And as I began to pray for him, he just began to bawl, and he began to cry, and I'm like weeping, and he's weeping, and we just kind of had this moment with the Lord together. And, uh, and that was kind of it. Like, I just, I just went away. But I look at that moment, and, and I think, you know, it might have meant a lot to him that someone would just listen, that someone, that another person wouldn't ignore him. But really what it did is it did something to this guy. Because it's like, Lord, I want to I respond better to your nudging. And probably if I would have been a little bit more in tune, I would have realized heaven was calling to me when he said, excuse me. Instead, I had to wait till I get in the, the car and the Lord be like, listen. And he, the Lord wasn't mad. When I got out of the car, I wasn't. I wasn't angry. I was like, well, bless God. I guess I'll go talk to this needy man and get him some money. No, man. This was an invitation for me to just say, okay, God, let me partner with your heart for a minute. You're allowing me to do, you're letting me do this. Thank you. And I'm just responding. And it's not just in those moments. Listen, I'm not trying to, I should have like gave the guy the attention without him asking. Well, my point is this. We've got to learn to start responding to the Lord. If we will respond to his tender heart, his tender mercy, his tender grace, if we'll start responding to that, we'll begin to experience the pleasure of the Lord. You know, the whole time I was talking to him, I was just filled with so much delight and joy towards this man. Like I could really sense the Father's pleasure over him. To weaken the striver. And I was hurrying, trying to get off to work. I got important things to do for God. To weaken the striver, let love be the driver.